Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In John chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples that they would have time of grief, but that their grief would be turned to joy. And when they saw the resurrected Christ, they had a joy unspeakable that they carried for the rest of their natural lives. Oftentimes, Jesus allows us to go through trials or difficulties, and it is not until we get through them that we experience the joy he intended for us. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 16 and look at this incredible principle of Jesus turning our grief into joy. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It is a Sunday afternoon here in Texas and hopefully all loving on Jesus. We we say it almost every teaching, there is nothing more beneficial in our lives, nothing more edifying in our lives, nothing more worthwhile in our lives, in this life, in this world, than spending time growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, and growing to help others know and love him, and of course, growing to know his love. Um, we do that by spending time in the scriptures, like we do here, spending time in our Bible, spending time in, in prayer spending time in repentance, right? Just going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I just ask you to forgive me where I've, you know, whatever areas you've fallen short. Um, spending time in praise and worship and thanksgiving. Spending time in fellowship and community with other believers, just growing to know Jesus, growing to obey him. Um, it's really the meaning of life. And it's really what we, you know, why we do what we do here. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Today, we're continuing in John 16. We're going to do verses 12 to 22, Lord willing. Um, just uh, just powerful stuff. Jesus is, is perhaps within two or three hours now of his crucifixion. And yet, he's still giving these incredible insights. He's giving his word to the disciples. Jesus is God. So when he speaks, he speaks the word of God. And we've said this now in many of these teachings, that it's quite incredible that within a few hours of his arrest and, and just being tortured and crucified, that he's still, he's still giving us these incredible words and he's encouraging his disciples, where certainly I and almost all of us just would want to be by ourselves. We wouldn't want to, you know, be around a bunch of people if we knew we were about to be tortured and go through crucifixion and become sin and and just experience uh, some kind of separation with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. It would just be, it would be overwhelming. But uh, again, Jesus sets the example for us here in, in truly giving his best during his worst times. And uh, that's obviously something we should all aspire to do, but it's not easy. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for our Bible. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures Father, we thank you that we have a Bible. We thank you that we have your word and that we get to read and study and meditate on your word and obey your word, Father. But above all, Father, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect life for us, dying a torturous death for us. And we worship you today and we thank you that you are alive and risen. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. 
We ask that you would give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear Jesus. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. John 16, verses 12 to 22. Jesus speaking. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more? and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me, no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn, while the world rejoices, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, just incredible verses. This verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. So when Jesus said this, I mean, he was saying that, you know, I haven't told you all you need to hear by any means. Um, Jesus is making it clear that it's the spirit of God that's going to come along, going to come after him. He's going to send the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, as he's already said. And the Spirit of God is going to lead, you know, the apostles to write the remainder of the scriptures. And, and so when he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, verse 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So um, after Jesus' resurrection, and ascension, he sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes, and we have the rest of the New Testament, right? The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, are, are, are four historical accounts of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, of all that Jesus said and did, right? Not everything, but, but much of what Jesus said and did is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's going to tell us at the end of this book, by no means could we ever, you know, talk about all that Jesus did because there wouldn't be enough books in the world to hold all the information, he says, right? Um, but he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Um, 
And there's a principle here, and this is one that I have, uh, I was telling my brother Jason this morning that I've, man, in, in 20, I don't know, 24 years of walking with Christ and, uh, and, and being a minister for most, most of those years, um, you know, this is one that I have so seemingly consistently failed on. Jesus says he has more to tell his disciples, much more to tell them, but he says it's more than you can now bear, so he doesn't tell them. As Christian leaders, it's our job to build up the body of Christ, to encourage the body of Christ, to exhort the body of Christ to, to grow to know Jesus, to spend time with him, to grow to obey Jesus, to grow to repent where we fall short, right? This is our job. But the more we grow to know Jesus, the more revelation we have of him and what it means to know him and to walk with him and to love him, what it means to know his love and to experience his presence, um, what it means to really know and move, you know, um, and understand the scriptures, the word of God, and, and the Christian life gets exciting. And as Christian leaders, we often just want to share everything that we know with all Christians. But, but that's not how it's set up. It's, it's our job as Christian leaders to bring disciples along, to bring students and learners of Jesus along, and to, and to share with them what they can bear or handle. And, and to do that, we, we really need to use a, you know, a certain wisdom. And as I've said, it's something that, uh, that I really have, I mean, just failed in so many times in, in my life. And, and, and the results are always the same. When we give disciples more than they can bear. Now, what am I saying here? It's our job to teach the word of God. Okay. We need to teach it clearly. Right. Um, and we need to get out of its way and let it do the work, right? Um, but when you're making disciples, when you're in, you know, when you're having personal time, right, with believers in Jesus Christ and you're building them up and you're encouraging them, you know, there's revelation that the Lord has given you over the years that you've walked in and that you've walked out. And today is not the day to tell them everything. So, we, we really need to, to be led by the Spirit of God what to share with certain disciples and when to share it. Again, they have the whole scriptures. It is our job to share with them the Bible, right? But there are revelations that the Lord has given us that oftentimes it's not time for us to share them with other people. And so we need to be, you know, we need to be uh, wise about it, right? In uh, in First Corinthians chapter three, you know Paul goes through these these famous verses, and he says, "Let me just get there." There, First Corinthians chapter three, Paul says, "Brothers, I cannot address you as spiritual. Spiritual means mature in Christ. Brothers, I cannot address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ." I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. So Paul recognized that, that the disciples in Corinth were not ready for solid food. So he gave them the spiritual food, which he calls here milk, that they could 
you know, that they could process, that they could understand, that they could receive. He, you know, he Paul didn't take solid food and keep stuffing it down an infant's face, right? Now, I don't know how it all works, but a newborn baby cannot eat solid food, right? You don't take a one-month-old baby and try to try to give them like big pieces of steak, right? You don't stick a sandwich in their mouth because they they can't take it. They're just going to spit it out or they're going to choke on it. Um, and so we need to use wisdom. And as I've said, I have spent, you know, just uh, forgive me, Lord. There's just there's so you, you just want the people to get it, right? As as a Christian minister or a Christian leader, you want everyone to really understand just this fullness in Christ. And we can have a tendency, or certainly I can, to try to take too much food, Uncle Dennis, right? Too much solid food and keep trying to stuff it down there when it's more than the person can bear. So like Paul, we need to have wisdom of what to give the people and when to give it to them, right? Now, again, every human being needs to know about Jesus. I'm not talking about the tenets of scripture, right? We're talking about everyone needs to know Jesus Christ as their savior and as their Lord. But we're talking about the deep things of walking with Christ. Sometimes the deep troubles, the deep struggles. There are just aspects of our walk with Jesus that, that you know, that are for us and the Lord will reveal to us when it's time to, to share them with others and when it isn't. And so Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. So again, Jesus is aware of what they can bear, what they can understand, what they can process. And so he's not going to give them more than they can handle. And that's, like I said, an example to, to all of us, particularly me. Verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, again, Jesus, when he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit. We see it in Acts 2. When, when an individual receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, when you call out to Jesus, when you put your full trust in Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you and becomes one with your spirit and gives you life. You become, you become born again spiritually. You become spiritually alive. The spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is joined to your spirit. And when that happens, you go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And now the things of God, the word of God, the son of God, this whole thing starts to make sense more and more and more and more. And you're one with the Holy Spirit. You're married to the Spirit of God. You're married to Jesus spiritually. You're one in spirit. Like husband and wives become one physically, we are one with Jesus spiritually. We're called the bride of Christ, right? The body of Christ. And it says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit came, right, in the book of Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came, I'm sorry, um, and the book of Acts chapter 2, and he led the apostles and they finished the word of God. So in this one sense, the completion of the scriptures, the completion of our Bible was the Holy Spirit leading us into, into all truth, okay? And we have that in the completion of the scriptures. Now, 
when it says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, it doesn't mean every bit of truth in every manner and every way. Like the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you how to fix a car engine. The Holy Spirit is not going to tell you who the second president of the United States is. Okay. We need to go and we need to do our research and, you know, um, we need to use the tools at our disposal. The Holy Spirit's not going to teach you mathematics. Certainly he helps us with all things. The point here is when it says the Holy Spirit will guide you, he will guide you into all truth. It's speaking about all truth relating to Jesus, all truth relating to what it means to know Jesus as our Savior and to walk with Jesus as our Savior, our Lord, our King, and our God. Uh, the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He certainly leads us into all truth with relationship with himself. So when it says he will guide you into all truth, it's referring to the Spirit of God guiding us into all truth relating to the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, which is to say, if, if the Holy Spirit is not living in us, he cannot guide us into all truth. The only way the Holy Spirit comes to live in us is when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, right? John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you ask Jesus to come into your heart and to be the Lord of your life and save you from your sin, knowing that you're just a hopeless, helpless, desperate, sinful person, and only hell awaits. And out of that place, you humble yourself, acknowledging Jesus as your only hope and just crying out to him, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe, Lord Jesus, that that you came and came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And Jesus, I believe that I need you. Jesus, I believe you are alive and risen today. And I ask you now to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and confidence and trust in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian. Now, again, just repeating those words is not what saves us, okay? Um, we're saved by trusting in Jesus Christ, clinging to Jesus, relying on Jesus alone, having our full confidence in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. Now, when we do that, again, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside of us, becomes one with us, gives us spiritual life, and from there, he guides us into all truth. So if you're not in Jesus Christ today, you do not have the Holy Spirit residing in, inside of you. And you can understand no truth whatsoever about the triune God. So if you're not in Jesus Christ today, and let's say you're just agnostic, you're not sure about this whole thing, or you're atheist, you don't believe there, there is a God, um, you're some kind of new age religion, right? Or you're, you're Buddhist or, uh, or you're, you're Islam or you're Hindu or you're, you're any of the other religions. You don't have Jesus Christ living in you. You haven't received Christ. The Holy Spirit is not living inside you. And so you can have no truth relating to who God really is, who Jesus is, the necessity of knowing Jesus is our savior. We cannot know any of this 
because the Spirit of God is the one that leads us into all truth regarding the triune God. So what am I saying? It's only in biblical Christianity. It's only in knowing and receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. And then as we walk with him and grow in him, the Spirit of God reveals Jesus to us in greater and greater and greater measure. It's incredible, right? So again, if you're not sure you've given your life to Jesus, back up. Give your life to Jesus today. Use the words that I use. But remember, what's important is your understanding of your need of Christ. And out of a, of a, of a genuine and contrite heart, crying out to him and humbling yourself and asking him to be the Lord of your life, putting your full faith, trust, and confidence in Jesus alone, knowing that he's your only hope, right? Jesus said, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, again, certainly as the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago led the, the apostles um, to write the remainder of the New Testament, right? The Spirit of God, you know, led the apostles to, you know, the Spirit of God inspired all 66 books of the Bible, okay? 39 Old Testament books, right, Corinne? And 27 New Testament books. Um, but the Spirit of God would now, the Old, the Old Testament was already put in place. Now the Spirit of God would, would lead the apostles to write the New Testament, right? And Paul, again, who wasn't one of the original 12, Paul went and, um, you know, and wrote 13 of the books himself. So it says he will tell you what is yet to come. And as we study the scriptures, particularly the last book of Revelation, we see, you know, the truth of what of Jesus's return, um, of the end of the world, of having a new heaven and a new earth, um, that all human beings will go before a judgment. If you're in Christ, you'll go before the judgment seat of Christ. It'll be a judgment for your reward in heaven. Um, and if you're not in Jesus Christ, anyone who has not received Jesus, Revelation 20, you go before the great white throne judgment. You'll be judged based on your deeds. No one will make heaven if they haven't received Jesus Christ. And based on the level of how they live their life, they'll be assigned a place in hell. Um, and it, it teaches us this very clearly in the, in the book of Revelation. Um, and so the Spirit of God speaks what he hears from Jesus. Verse 14, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. It's a very, very, very profound statement. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, brings glory to Jesus. I believe it was John 15, what is it, verse 26, that said, um, where is it, verse 26, John 15, 26, the previous chapter, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So again, the Spirit of God testifies about Jesus. The Spirit of God glorifies Jesus. Verse 14, John 16, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. I'll say this. Um, there is much in the church today of all that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit does have a, an immense responsibility. The Holy Spirit is God, okay? And the Holy Spirit does, does things that we cannot understand, okay? Um, the Holy Spirit does healings, right? The Holy Spirit does 
miraculous things. He is God, okay? Um, but the primary task of the Holy Spirit, above all other things, is to testify to Jesus and to bring glory to Jesus. So if you're a Christian today, or you're part of a Christian church today, or you're part of an organization that's, that's always talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus has to be at the front of it for it to be authentic or for it to be real. Because the Holy Spirit's main focus is to testify to Jesus, John 15, 26. He will testify about me and to glorify Jesus, verse 14. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So behind everything else the Spirit of God does, the Spirit of God is consistently reminding us of Jesus, testifying about Jesus, driving us to Jesus, glorifying Jesus and driving us to glorify Jesus in our words and our thoughts and in our deeds. Now, again, that has to be at the forefront. Now, with that in place, all the other gifts of the Holy Spirit, everything else the Holy Spirit does is flows out of glorifying Jesus and testifying about Jesus. So again, if you're walking around today wanting to move in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, if you're not consistently engulfed, excuse me, and enraptured with Jesus, if the Holy Spirit, if you're not experiencing the Holy Spirit leads you into deeper, more intimate, more profound relationship with Jesus, and if you're not experiencing the Holy Spirit leads you to help others, to grow in deeper, more profound, and more relationship with the Holy Spirit, then you're missing the primary objective of the Holy Spirit. You don't go running after the gifts of the Holy Spirit without having Jesus Christ at the center of really everything you're doing. Because if you don't have Jesus at the front, none of that other stuff is going to matter. And the Holy Spirit will not work in that way because his primary objective is to bring glory to Jesus and to testify to Jesus. So hopefully that makes sense, right, Uncle Dennis? All right. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Look at verse 15. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Now, this is again another one of those scriptures here, right, May? All that belongs to the Father is mine. This, this, this person said this. Listen to Jesus' words. All that belongs to the Father is mine. He just said that. Now, if the speaker is not God, this is one of those scriptures that again makes it clear that Jesus is God. He just said that all that belongs to God the Father, everything, all that belongs to the Father is mine. I mean, who would even utter such words, right? Either the speaker is God, which we know he is here because it's Jesus, or it's just a lunatic, right? It's someone who's just, who's so far out of their mind that there's no words for it. No one spoke like this. No religious figure in history, anywhere in the Bible or in any other religion, ever talked like this. Who says this? All that belongs to the Father is mine. Imagine being there and hearing him say that and trying to just process that. Did, did he just say that everything that belongs to God the Father 
is his. <laughs> yeah, I've said this before. We, when reading and studying the scriptures, when 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 reading the words of Jesus Christ, we got to really begin to understand who we're dealing with in the person of Jesus. You're dealing with full blown God Almighty, the Son of God, God the Son, and nothing less. It was your God that became a man for you. My God, Jesus, that willingly became a human man for us, lived a perfect life for us, died that horrible, torturous death for us, and was raised from the dead. That's the ultimate love story, that your God would become a human man and live a perfect life that you could not live, die a torturous death that you and I should have died, and be raised from the dead, that, that we would be redeemed, that our sins would be forgiven, and that we would have relationship with the triune God by receiving and trusting in him and what he's done for us at the cross on our behalf and in our place, right? All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So the Holy Spirit is taking everything the Holy Spirit says, everything the Holy Spirit does, is taking his lead from Jesus. Okay? He says, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So again, do you see the cooperation? Again, when you look at this verse, John 16, 15, again, it's another one of those verses where you see the triune God intertwined into all of it. Look at verse 15. All that belongs to the Father, God the Father, is mine. That is why I said, he's speaking now, he's the one speaking, is mine, Jesus, God the Son. That is why I, Jesus, God the Son, said the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So again, we see the, the incredible cooperation of the triune God. It's, it's just, it's mind-blowing, right, Robin? It's just, it's exciting. It's incredible. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Verse 16, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. So again, he's just a few hours now from being arrested from being abused, from being mocked, from being flogged, from being whipped, from being tortured, from having a crown of thorns thrust down on his head, to being crucified. And so he says, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. So Jesus is taken from them. They don't understand what he's talking about. And they don't see him. They won't see him for the rest of Friday. They won't see him all day Saturday, and they won't see him part of Sunday. And so then after his resurrection from the dead, he reveals himself to them, and they do see him. So that's what he's saying here when he says in verse 16, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Again, this is another one of those privileges we have of living on this side of the cross as it makes perfect sense to us. But if you try to put yourself in their place, they, they don't know what he's saying. Verse 17, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, 
and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. 18, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he was saying. I said in Bible study, and I was saying to my brother Jason, this is, this is just one of the parts of the Bible that's not super spiritual, right? And when the Spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit is leading uh, the Apostle John, you know, and John is, is writing this gospel and the Holy Spirit's bringing it back to his remembrance, I don't know, some 60, 70 years after the resurrection of Jesus, John writes this gospel. Um, and John includes here just these, these words. And again, they're not, it's, it's, it's just another one of those things that just convicts us, right, Kristen, that shows us that the Bible is real. It's true. It's not just some super spiritual book. It certainly is uh, the word of God to us. But when you look at these verses, they're just explanatory verses of what's happening, right? Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more? And then, after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. They don't understand what he means. And I like that that's recorded. John is just telling us specifically what's happening, right? He's, he's, he's giving us beautiful details into the life of their mindset at the time that are so valuable to us. And this is as much scripture as John 3.16, right, Leah? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Most famous verse in the Bible, right? But this is just as much Bible. His disciples don't get what he means in verse 16. And so it says, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean? Said to one another, what does he mean? By saying, in a little while you will see me no more. They don't know that he's about to get arrested, tortured, and crucified, and then be raised from the dead. And then after a little while you will see me. They say, and because I'm going to the Father. They don't, they don't understand what he means, even though he's just explained it to them over and over and over. And by the end of this chapter, they're going to get it, right? Verse 18, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? He means a little while, like a couple of hours, Right? Two, three, four hours, whatever it is, he's going to be taken from them. And they won't be able to see him physically with their eyes anymore. And it's going to be a time of darkness and sadness and grief and pain beyond our understanding. And then he says, we don't, we don't understand what he's saying. Then, obviously, after he's taken, he's crucified. On Sunday morning, he's raised from the dead. And then, then he does reveal himself to them. We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? So Jesus obviously could hear their conversation. He could overhear it, perhaps that they were over to the side or something. Um and it says that Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about it, that they didn't understand what he was saying. Um, but but they weren't just, you know, outright asking him about it. This is what it means to have relationship with Jesus. Just to, there's so much that we don't understand. When we're talking to unbelievers, or even as believers, it's a good thing to just consistently go to Jesus. And as, you know, he's not going to reveal 
things that aren't good for us to understand. That's why he already said, I have much to explain to you, more than you can now bear. Jesus wants to reveal much to us as, as well, but we're not in a position to bear it or understand it right now. Um, but it's still part of relationship and spending time with Jesus and growing to know him and to please him and to love him is to is to ask him questions and to just ask him and to talk to him about the things you don't understand and 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 to just spend time with him. Now again, how he chooses to reveal the answers to you or or me or if he chooses to reveal to us, he'll do that as to what's best for us. If you're diligently seeking Jesus on something and you're not getting any answers, that's because it's not time right now. It's more than you can bear right now, but you want to keep pressing into Jesus. We don't want to be afraid to ask him or pour our heart out to him, to our hurts and our pains, or just or even our, our blessings, even our um, the exciting things in our life, right? Jesus saw that they wanted, to, they wanted to ask him about it. Jesus can see, May, what you want to ask him about. Ask him, y'all. Ask him the things that you don't understand. Verse 20. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. It's an incredible verse here. Um, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. The, the disciples were, gonna, were about to have, again, they had believed that Jesus, they still didn't understand until after his resurrection, that what they really needed was a spiritual redeemer. The disciples are still looking for a physical redeemer. They're still looking for someone to, to come and bring Israel back to their former glory. They're still looking for like, um, like a glorious King David or an Alexander the Great or, or Napoleon or whoever, right? Some type of great general, right? To lead Israel as a, as a physical messiah where what we needed and what they needed, and again, they didn't understand this, and we have the, you know, we have the blessing of, you know, having our Bible now for 2,000 years, but we need a, a spiritual redeemer to redeem our soul, to redeem our spirit, to give us spiritual life by, you know, by his sacrifice and receiving forgiveness of our sins, right? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. So he tells them before he's taken that, that a time of grief is coming. And this is at his crucifixion. Again, they would endure a grief and a sadness and a hardship because now they believe he's dead. They still don't understand all the things he told them, right? You remember he, uh, the scripture says, I, I believe it was in, uh, in, uh, in John 2, right? The end of John 2 that um, they didn't even understand that you know, until after Jesus was raised from the dead, all what these things meant. Um, so once he's dead, they're, they, they're hopeless. Um, and so this is when they're weeping and mourning. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. It's an interesting phrase. Your grief will turn to joy. Um, most of us have had times where we were weeping and we were mourning when it seems like like other people are doing pretty good or other people are excited. There's this 
there's this seasons in our life, right? We had said, um, you know, one of our leaders, Stephen, who does these teachings with me, he, he lost his brother. It's just been a couple of weeks of, of weeping and mourning and grieving, right? Where, where the world, you know, people are having babies and, you know, so it's just, you know, the Lord allows us to go through these seasons of weeping and grieving and mourning. But if you're in Jesus Christ today, and the more you live your life in Christ, there will be joy that, that comes out of that grief as you and I persist in Christ, as we continue to grow, to walk with Jesus and to love him and to give our lives to him and to obey him and to just simply, again, be more devoted to Jesus. None of this is out of religion, y'all. It's not, none of this is that you have to do it. It's that you get to do it. Any relationship, anywhere, any relationship of any kind, right? Whether it's friend or husband and wife or father and son or brother and sister, whatever the relationship is, the quality of the relationship is always going to be based on the time that's put into it, right? Jesus is always with us. He said he'll never leave us or forsake us. But to the extent that we spend time with him and grow to know him and spend time in the scriptures and praise and worship and thanksgiving and fellowship and community, the more devotion we have to Jesus, the, the, the better we'll experience that relationship with him, just like in any relationship, right? Um, but all of us can, can remember times of just of grief and mourning um, and just sadness. But as you walk through it with Jesus, when you come out on the other side, it's not long before he begins to reveal to you the work he was doing. And it's not that the grief just stays grief and you have joy. He says you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. That's kind of an incredible statement, right? Your grief will turn to joy. When Jesus was raised from the dead and the disciples saw him, they went from such overwhelming grief to a joy that was literally unspeakable, and they held it for the rest of their lives. Now, again, try to think like you're there. You saw Jesus crucified. He's dead. You didn't, you, you didn't understand. And, and again, often we don't understand things in our walk with Jesus. But all of a sudden, they see him alive. They see him resurrected from the dead. They see him blinking in and out of places, right? He's alive. It's real. And they held that joy for the rest of their lives. And out of the grief, the grief was turned to joy. It was because of the grief that the joy was what it was at some level. If they didn't have the grief, they would not experience the joy in the same way. And again, when we look at our lives, if we're in relationship with Jesus, we will certainly see this principle at work in our lives. So be encouraged, okay? Whatever you're going through, whatever grief you're going through, continue to walk with Jesus, continue to set it before Jesus, continue to invite Jesus into it and make him a part of it. And in this same way, your grief and my grief and sadness will ultimately turn to joy and we'll experience it. And when we'll look back, we'll see that, that we were better off for having gone through it. Verse 21, 
A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that, is that a child is born into the world. Just gives a very real life example, right, Melanie? Um, every mother knows this, that, you know, childbirth is uh, <laughs> never having gone through it personally, right? I haven't. Um, you know, it looks hard to me. It looks painful. Um, it looks difficult. And I'm, I mean, I, I am literally thankful, you know, that just that, uh, you know, for all, all the, the ladies, the woman, the mothers that, that do that. I'm thankful to my mother. Every man owes his life to some woman. It's a fact, right? Um, and, and just, it looks hard to me, but yet, you know, nothing, no one, no, not a father, no one, you know, there are fathers that love their children like mothers do, but, but a mother could have this tremendous pain. But when you put that baby in her arms, whenever it is, you know, a few minutes after the baby's born, it, all that grief, right, goes to the back burner and it, it turns to joy because the pain that came from childbirth is just overwhelmed in the, in the little beautiful package of that baby, right? Right, Mama? Thank you, Jesus. All right. Verse 22, so with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Jesus saw them again after his resurrection. They were filled with a joy, and their lives carried a joy. For the rest of their natural lives, they carried that joy. All the all the apostles were martyred. They were killed for Jesus, but they had joy. It was real. Only John, the author of this gospel, wasn't martyred. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't. So they just put him on an island and, and you know, let him live off his life. Uh, so with you, now is your time of grief. And it may be your time of grief now. But I will see you again. Jesus will meet you again right? Jesus saw them again after his resurrection. They grieved. Here in about two or three hours, he's going to be taken from them. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. And he saw him again three days later, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Father, I ask you to help us, Lord. I ask you to help us to look forward to the joy we have in Christ, Father. I ask you to to help us, Holy Spirit, and to comfort us, our comforter. You're even called our comforter. That as we're going through grief and sadness and trials and difficulties, that we look forward to the joy that will be ours as we come through it. Father, even as, as the disciples had such immense joy when they saw the resurrected Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would give us eyes that see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus Christ our Lord, Help us to grow in our faith and to refine our, our faith, Holy Spirit. We pray that our faith would be refined, that we would see Jesus more clearly. Again, we ask for spiritual eyes that would see Jesus and ears that would hear him. That we might have a joy that will never be taken away. Father, we just love you and thank you and praise you. Lord Jesus, we worship you. Holy Spirit, seal the message to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.